In, uh, in Ephesians 4, verse 3, it says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And, and that's pretty powerful. When we get together, we all love the same Holy Spirit, and there's a unity that comes as we worship. There's a unity that comes as we come together. And that unity is of the Spirit. And I love that, because we come from so many different backgrounds. How many of you come from a different background? <laughs> we come from so many different backgrounds. And, uh, and, and for us to be able to come together as family is powerful. Uh, it begins here. It begins in the Spirit. But it doesn't end there. And somebody just shared a word with me this morning about the Lord beginning to merge the different DNAs that are represented here. Go on down to verse 13, and it says, until we all come to the unity of the faith. So it, we begin this process with unity of the Spirit. We end up with unity of the faith, to where we actually all believe the same thing, we've embraced the same values. We might have different perspectives on certain things, but it doesn't divide us in our hearts because God has joined our faith together and we've become powerful as we unite together against a common enemy and for a common Savior. Amen? And there's something that God is doing right now about turning... Uh, I, I just have sensed this. There's been quite a season of time where I've really felt like uh, it's not time for us to focus so much on what we're uh, destroying, what we're tearing down, as it is for, to allow the Lord to build family here and to allow this to be a safe place for people to come that, that need a safe place for family to get together and to connect and worship God together. And, and, and we can't effect a whole lot out there if we don't allow the Lord it's, it's like I always told my, my wife, uh, I can face anything out there, but I have to have a sanctuary to come home to. I, I can't have the enemy in my house. My house has to be a place of peace. And, and that's kind of the way it is in our journey. We need a family space. We need a place where we can come together and it's safe and it's okay and we can let our guard down and we can connect hearts together and we can be family. And when we can do that here, I think most of us can face almost anything out there. But we have to have this. And it kind of puts me in mind of Abraham. You know, Abraham didn't begin as Abraham. He began as Abram, and, uh, which basically means a powerful father. And then God showed up in his life and changed his name to Abraham. And in the same encounter, changed his wife's name from Sarai to Sarah. Added the same Hebrew letter into both of their names, which is which represents the Holy Spirit, in my view. And, 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 and when that happened, uh, Abraham became a father of a multitude. That's what his name changed to. Uh, he's the father of all those who believe. He's the father of nations. And uh, 
because the Lord said, I've called you to be a father of many nations. And, uh, uh, and so Abraham was the friend of God. He represents a believer. I, I want you to see the, the parallel here. He represents a believer that has cultivated an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I don't have time to go into all the scriptures here as I tell you this story, but it's there. Uh, not too long after that, there were three men who showed up at, at Abraham's house. Three men. Abraham called them Lord, singular. And they began to talk to Abraham about some of their plans with Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham used, uh, took the opportunity because he had a relationship with the Father to negotiate on behalf of those wicked cities. And then those men, two of them, went from Abraham's house to Lot's house. Two of them. He, Lot represents someone without that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. But the scripture calls him righteous. Said that righteous man vexed his soul day and night over the iniquity around him. He was a righteous. I've known so many people who live their Christian life like Lot, constantly vexed and in turmoil over all the wickedness that they see in the world around them, but they can't effect change. They represent someone who knows two parts of God but doesn't have that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. Two men, two of those men showed up at Lot's house. Lot called them lords, plural. Didn't have discernment to recognize this is one God. And so he wasn't able to effect change, even though... He was vexed. So, so what I'm, I'm giving you that parallel because um, I want us to be like Abraham, to be the friend of God, to have an intimate relationship with God because we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we have influence with God. And God, before he came to destroy Lot and Gomorrah, uh, it's Lot and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, he said, I can't do that unless I talk to my friend Abraham about it first. And that's the relationship that he wants with each of us. He wants a relationship with us where, well, I, I need to, to, to deal with this, that, or the other, but I've got to talk to my friend about it first. You know, that should be every one of our hearts, that we want that kind of relationship with the Lord, that we don't just uh, vex our spirit about the, the evil that's going on in the world around us, that we don't just allow ourselves to be constantly troubled and in turmoil over all the wickedness in the world around us, but we actually live in a place of peace with the Lord so that we can negotiate with the Lord and bring influence to the decisions that he makes to intervene in the affairs around us, whether it is in your family, in your community, uh, in the nations, whatever it is. Amen? And so uh, I, I want to encourage every one of you, Pursue that intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you've not been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, seek after that. 
not just because of an outward manifestation of what that looks like, you know, whether it's speaking in tongues, uh, prophesying, whatever, how, however, uh, all the different ways that the Holy Spirit manifests through us, but in a relationship with him, that, that you're able to walk in covenant with God and effect change in the world that you live in. Amen? And, and so that's, that doesn't come because the right person lays hands on you, even though God uses laying on of hands to do it. It, becomes, it comes because there's a hungry heart that's seeking after God. The eyes of the Lord are always looking to and fro through the earth, searching to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. And a heart that's perfect toward the, the Lord is a hungry, seeking heart. It's, it's, not just, it's not just a person whose mind is thirsty for knowledge, but it's a heart that's hungry for his presence. Amen? Um, In Genesis 17, God's talking to Abraham about this stuff, changing the name of Abram to Abraham, changing the name of Sarai to Sarah. And in between, in the middle of that, in between those two conversations about Abraham's name and Sarah's name, he establishes the mark of the covenant with Abraham. And it's the sign of circumcision. And that requires a long conversation that I'm going to make very short. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version because of timing. Uh, and I don't want you to be embarrassed by that, by me talking about circumcision. It was the mark of the covenant under the Old Covenant. Um, and you might say, well, why did God make that the sign of the covenant? Come on, that's embarrassing, that's, you know, whatever. Actually, it's the wisdom of God. Because every young man goes to the bathroom how many times a day? And every time he does there's a reminder of who he belongs to. There's a reminder that he's a covenant man. There's a reminder that he better not just give in to the desires of his flesh because he's marked by God. There's a reminder that he's, God is saving him for the woman that he's preparing for him to spend the rest of his life with. This is something that's really on God's heart. And uh, in, in Romans chapter 2, verse 28, it says this, 28 and 29, he's not a Jew who's one outwardly. In other words, the real essence of this story is not that the flesh is marked physically. That's, that's not the real substance of it yet. Nor is circumcision that outward in the flesh, but he's a Jew who's one inwardly, 
And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. So what this is pointing to is the sign of a new covenant people who've had their hearts circumcised, who've had their own fleshly desires cut out of their hearts, uh, people who are set apart for the Lord, a people who are marked by God, a people who walk different because God has marked their life, a people who don't march to the same beat anymore as the world does around them, a people who operate out of a different sense of values, not because they're trying to live up to somebody's rules and regulations about things, but because God has marked their hearts and set them apart unto the Lord. And, 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 and this, is a, this is a really big deal for the body of Christ to understand. Grace doesn't mean, hey, I get to do anything I want to and it's okay and God just overlooks it. That's not what grace means. Grace means I've submitted myself to the process of God. He has marked my heart. He's set me apart for him. I can't live the way that I used to because he sanctified me unto his purpose. This afternoon we're going to get into training class for all of you who want to be involved with altar ministry, whatever. But part of that uh, is not so much about training and learning techniques and all of that, initially at least, it, as much as it is about accountability and finding out that, that there needs to be a reasonable expectation that when you lay hands on somebody to pray for them, to minister to them, that, that you weren't out sleeping around the night before. That, that, that you're not uh, open for other influences to come through you, but you recognize that there's a sanctified vessel that God wants to use. And, and I'll tell you something, we're getting ready to see a youth revival. I, I'm, just, I'm just letting you know that because I know it in my spirit. We're getting ready to see a youth revival. The youth of our community and of our nation are looking for something to lay their life down for. They're not looking for a mamby-pamby message. They're not looking for a Sunday school class of, of just learning stories. Uh, that, that there are just a social get-together where they can eat pizza. That's not, I'm not against any of those things. What I'm saying is they're looking for something that is valuable enough and costly enough that they can lay their life down for it. That I'm willing to give my life for this. Amen? I'm willing to dedicate my... You know, uh, I have a wild story I'm, I'm going to share with you. Uh, I'm old enough now I can be a storyteller and it's okay. <laughs> I'm still young, but I'm old enough to do that. Uh, so we moved to Virginia in 91. And, uh, and, and the Lord had established a value. And I'm sure if I was growing up, if my little kids were growing up in today's culture, maybe the Lord would say something different. I don't know, because things have gotten pretty bad in our education system. And, and our kids are actually learning communism in school today. Uh, and, 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 and there's a spirit at work in the education system that's trying to turn our girls into boys and our boys into girls, and that's not okay. That's, that is the work of a Jezebel spirit that's, that's trying to control the education system in America. I'm just saying that. Uh, and, uh, but back then, we'd had a word from the Lord. The Lord said, don't 
protect your children from the darkness. Teach them how to shine in the darkness, how to be a light in the midst of darkness. Don't protect them from the darkness growing up. Teach them about the darkness and how to be a witness and all of that. And so uh, Amanda and I had talked about this. We'd processed this. And, 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 and we decided that our kids were going to go to public school, not private school, because of that, because of that word. And, uh, and that we were going to teach them how to be an example, uh, how to be different, and, uh, and how to be a, a witness, uh, a light in the midst of darkness, even while they're growing up. And so uh, we moved to Virginia, Northern Virginia in 91, and at that time, uh, Rhonda was going through some, some, our oldest was going through some, some struggles, so we decided to pull her out of public school. And the first year, it wasn't bad. We used uh, a, a video... Uh, slash workbook, a Becca system, I think, uh, for her at that time. And uh, the first year was pretty good. The second year was, eh, the third year was a disaster. And so we decided, okay, it's time to put her back into public school. And so uh, we'd moved into an area where the middle school, which she would be going to, uh, had a reputation for having troubled kids. And so we made, we made preparations to send her to Stonewall Middle School. And, uh, and, people found, and the church found out about it. They're like, you can't do that. That's a terrible school for the, the problems that the kids have. I'm like, well, I, I think it's what the Lord wants us to do. Well, you need to send them to a Christian school. I'm like, well, I don't think the Lord wants us to do that. And th- this came from the pastor's family, okay, so that we were serving. And so, uh, well... Uh, I, we'll help pay for it, thinking that maybe it was a financial issue because we were getting paid almost enough to live on, you know. And, uh, and I said, no, it's, it's really not the money. Money is not the primary issue. We're trying to be obedient to the Lord. And so, okay. So we, we sent them to, uh, Rhonda was in sixth grade, I think. When she, seventh grade when she started going there. And uh, so the first day of school, teacher said uh, to the kids, uh, I want all of you to uh, tell us your name. Each of you to tell us what, what is your name and tell us something you want to know about yourself. So when it came to Rhonda's turn, she said, I'm, my name is Rhonda Hirschberger and I'm a Christian. Oh. So kind of a line was drawn in the sand that first day. And she began to notice that that, uh, you know, if she was in the, in the, in the restroom and, and the girl, girls would come in cussing or whatever, when they saw her, they would apologize. And, uh, and, and, and God really began to use her. She excelled in music and vocal music. And uh, the sec- second year then that she was there, Eric joined her. And, uh, and so they, they were both there together. And, uh, and she really began, I, I don't know, there was some kind of a favor because they were living out a word of the Lord. There was some kind of a favor on their life that I don't fully understand in the natural yet. But about that second year, something began to shift. Our youth group began to become powerful. They started bringing kids from, from uh, uh, our youth group and actually another youth group that they attended. Uh, and uh, they started taking kids to youth group. Kids started getting saved. For a while, kids from the school were getting saved every week. 
some of the rowdiest kids in that school got saved and began serving the Lord. The peer group of Christian youth became more powerful than, than the negative peer group. It became the cool thing to serve the Lord in that school. Uh, we went to one of the concerts that they did, a music conference. Ron ended up going all county and then all district in music and did a lot of their solo work and stuff. And, and when, she stepped, when she walked out on the stage to do her number, they gave her a standing ovation. Before she ever did anything, I'm like, what in the world is going on here? But it was just the favor that came on, on those kids. And when we left uh, that school, they left that school, that school had the largest FCA chapter of all of Northern Virginia. Federation of Christian Athletes. That, that, that's how the whole culture of that school shifted. And all, all we did was just try to obey the Lord. And I'm just saying, we need to hear what God is saying instead of just doing what we fall into by default as Christians. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and because in, in, in Sodom, back to that story, when judgment came, the salt was removed. Jesus said we're salt and light, right? And if we're going to leave the culture, what that means, the salt is leaving. That's why Lot's wife turned into a pillar of salt. If the salt and light leaves the culture, that means judgment has to come. So, so we can't just isolate ourselves and, and, and be hobbits and, and live in our little corner of the world and expect God to bless the world around us. We've got to be willing to be salt and light in the midst of the world. And, and if it starts taking its toll on our kids, by all means, draw them out and, and, and let them become powerful again. And I'm not just talking about kids. I'm talking about us in general. Be willing to be a part of the culture because we're called to be salt and light. That's what Je In fact, Jesus said that's what we are. You are the light of the world. And, and if we're not in the world to be light, then where's the world going to get light? You know, if they, if, if they can't see Jesus in us because we're hiding out in our own little corner, you know what I mean? And so there's a real... There, there's something on Gates right now, and I'm just telling you. I, I shared this uh, with somebody this morning in, uh, in Genesis. Uh, in Genesis 24, verse 60, Rebecca's family were prophesying over her before she left to go with Eliezer back to... Uh, her husband, who, the man who would be her husband, Isaac. And they said this. They said, Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. That kind of sounds like something Jesus told us, right? The gates of hell... Will not, will not hold up against the onslaught of the church. We're not just called. And so part of what we have done here over the past year, 
for any of you who've not heard this story, is we have defended the gates. When, when people said that you can't get together in church because churches will become places where COVID spreads and all of that, the Lord specifically told me, I've set you as the gatekeeper of this house. You decide what comes in and what can't come in. I'm saying that to every head of household among you. You're the gatekeeper of your house. You decide what comes in and what can't come in. And so I started every Sunday morning slathering oil on the lintel and the doorposts of the front door, declaring that no infectious disease, no virus, no, no power of darkness can come inside of this place and live in Jesus' name. I'm realizing now the Lord started something there that wasn't really about COVID. We never became a, a place where COVID spread through. I mean, there were individuals here who got COVID. I mean, you interact with people outside of here, but this never became a spreader, a place where, a spread, where whatever you call it. Uh, and, uh, but we're called to possess our gates. And, and, but, Possessing the gates doesn't just mean defensively controlling our own gates. We're called to possess the gates of the enemy. We're called to invade and to overpower the gates of hell. We're called to pull lost souls out of the flames of hell. What do you mean? That, I, I'm not talking about people after they die. I'm talking about people that are owned by the kingdom of darkness and need to be snatched out of the fires of hellfire that they're bound for and bring them into the kingdom of God. We're called to possess the gates of the enemy. Amen? And, and, and you need to apply that to where you live, to your own family, to your own tribe first. You're called to possess the gates of the enemy. The Lord doesn't want you to, to be happy and, and, uh, and go to heaven and the rest of your family die and go to hell. That's not God's plan for you. God wants you to begin to possess the gates of the enemy. That's something that we're going to begin to do. Amen? We're going to aggressively go after the gates of hell and believe God for a an outpouring of his spirit and a harvest of souls the likes of which we have never seen. Amen? This is our time. It's your time. It's your time. It's time to get our swords out and get ready for battle. Amen? How many of you are ready? <coughs> hmm? Okay. I really feel like I need to share this um, I, I think probably everybody has heard that DeWine is going to lift up the restrictions June 2nd of mask, that we're not going to have to wear the mask anymore. And um, I, I just want to share a little bit of um, what my own thing that I had been, that the Lord has been really showing me. Um, I wear the mask when I have to go into businesses because I want them to be able to be open. But I notice that you can't see anybody's expressions in the mask. And so I would really like to invite every one of us, because Yuri was talking about us to be, uh, um, uh, to change, to be part of the change and to bring the, uh, a shift 
in, in, in our culture. And so this is what I'm going to invite every one of you into. And it doesn't matter what kind of, where you are with God. This is all something we can all do. But when we take the, our mask off and we begin to go out in society, I am inviting you and encouraging you to look at the people that you pass and you smile to them. We're going to, we're going to carry God's presence. We're going to carry that joy. We're going to invite others to come into our joy. And, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm, cause you know, uh, I, I, for one, I, I get overwhelmed because I have a lot of people in my life and, and, and this is where I'm going to, I'm committing to change too, is that when I go out and in, in the stores and stuff, I'm not looking to give a word to anybody because I just need to have a little, I mean, this is the way I function because I need to have downtime. I need to kind of, because I get, it wears me out because all my life, all the things that I am in, engaging in life, and I'm going to change that. I want to be, and, and if nothing else, if I'm not looking for a word to, to, to give to those that, that are uh, out and about, I want to give my smile to them. And this is, an, I, I shared, I had an encounter with this uh, beautiful lady, I think is related to Mike and or Matt and um, Shiloh, and she was older, and she said that, that the Lord has laid on her heart that whenever she's out and about and she sees somebody has a beautiful haircut or has something, is wearing something, she will go to them and compliment them. And she says, I don't have anything to lose. I'm older and I don't have any, I don't care how that looks. But I thought, oh, what a, how beautiful that is if we can begin to notice people and to compliment them. So I'm going to ask you to do that too. Notice them. You're going to, we're going to smile to them. That's an invitation. That's like an openness. But then if we can, we can affirm somebody. We can give them a compliment because we have to make a shift. We can't just go and it has to be different after this, after the mask come off. We have to carry something. And I'm just giving you practical things that we can do to begin shifting the atmosphere when we're out and about. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jason, where are you at? There you are. What's the name of that bill that's coming up this week? Two forty-eight House Bill two forty-eight, uh, which guarantees uh, medical freedom to Ohioans, uh, and so I just want to challenge all of you to contact your legislators by email. You can look it up. Uh, House Bill two forty-eight. It's called medical freedom or something like that. Bill, is that right? They're voting on it Tuesday. So so look it up. Email. Uh, call. Your, con your state Congress, uh, it's the House, right? It's not the Senate, it's the Ohio House. Your, your U.S., uh, your, not U.S., Ohio uh, congressional representative, look, look them up and email or call them and let them know that you want them to vote for that bill. Amen? We don't need the government getting in control of you have to do this, that, or the other. Uh, we're free Americans. Amen? And uh, I'm, I'm going to try not to get on my stump too far, but I do have one. Um, you, know, you know, when the Revolutionary War was fought, I don't know how many of you 
some of you may not have thought that was wise, but um, that was actually a pretty powerful thing. When, when we uh, declared our independence, by the way, this church was founded on July 4th. I'm not sure why the Lord told us to start on that, but, but it has to do with values that I think align with the values that the nation was founded on. Uh, but the Lord literally told us to start on July 4th, and then I went and looked it up, and sure enough, it was on a Sunday. So that's the day we started, July 4th, 2004. A church called Freedom. Anyway, uh, when the Revolutionary War was being fought, the primary stump for, for rallying the, um, the uh, colonial troops to action was the pulpits in the churches. And so if the church gets silent and doesn't uh, bring faith and courage and, and value for freedom to, to mobilize the body of Christ, then, then we have lost, uh, we, have, we are light that has lost its savor, uh, salt that has lost its savor and a light that's gone out. And I don't want to stand before the Lord and have him say, well, you did well at saving souls, but why didn't you help save the nation? You know, we need to do what we need to do, not only on the spiritual level, but on a natural level, to fulfill our assignment to, to uh, because, and, I'm, and it's, it's because I believe that America is an apostolic nation. I believe Israel is a prophetic nation and America is an apostolic nation. I believe that that's why we have a specific assignment to take the gospel of the kingdom to the nations of the world. God's always blessed us most when we have done that. It's because of our assignment. Okay? And, and so, and, and I, I don't know how many of you heard me say this, but I, I was at Morningstar years ago when this thing really first came on my radar screen, but there was a young man there who had done a bunch of research and he'd created this this uh, graph that showed the stock market rise and fall from 1929 on, I guess. Uh, I forget how far back he went. And then he showed another one that showed the amount of missionaries that America sent out to the nations in the same time, uh, time span, and it almost perfectly matched up. The more missionaries we send out, the better our stock market did. It has to do with our assignment as a nation. We're called to take the gospel of the kingdom of the nation. And how are we going to do that if we don't even defend freedom in our own nation? We've, we've got to do this. Amen? So uh, we're, going to, we're going to take communion, receive communion now. And uh, there was a verse that I was going to read before we do. And I got distracted. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end.
This Jesus was facing his trial, the beatings, the, the, the crucifixion, all that heavy stuff. But none of that distracted him from his assignment to love his disciples to the end. The one who would betray him, he served communion to. Loved him to the end. That's how much he loves you. He's committed to loving you all the way to the end. And as we receive the bread, as we receive the cup this morning, I want us to think about the one who gave his life for us. The one whose body was broken so that we can be healed, so that we can be whole. The one who poured out his blood as the seal of the new covenant to set us free from every claim that darkness, death, sickness, and disease, poverty ever had on us by giving us the blood of a new covenant. He told his disciples, except you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So I thank you, Father, for the life of your Son, for the body that was broken, for the blood that was shed. And as we partake of that this morning, we do it in remembrance of you, Jesus, and of what it cost to bring us such an amazing salvation. We thank you for it, Jesus.